Good morning, Nachum. Good Erev Shabbos, everybody. Tomorrow we have the privilege of reading Parshas Vayeshev. We'll get to Parshas Vayeshev in a few moments. I just want to review quickly just a few of the basic laws of Hanukkah, which begins, please God, this coming Saturday night. Because it starts on Motsoe Shabbos, Saturday night, I urge everyone to be careful and as eager as we are to light the Ne'er Hanukkah, we should not do so until it's definitively after Shabbos. So in the New York area, I would say certainly not before 520. Now, in terms of the time for lighting Ne'er Hanukkah, throughout the week, and we'll talk about next Friday night, please God, next week, but for all other days, be aware. The Talmud says that one is to light Ner Hanukkah with Shkia. Shkia means sunset. There's a machlokes between the Rambam who understood that sunset means the beginning of sunset, approximately 4.30 these days, and the Machaber of Yosef Karo usually who follows the opinion of the Rambam, he follows the other opinions which say that it means the end of sunset, at the time when the stars come out, approximately 40 minutes later. So the ideal time, once again, in the New York area would be 5.10. However, if one cannot light at that time, just know that one can light with the blessings all night long. This is because circumstances have changed. In the days of the Talmud, they lit outside, and without electricity, you were very limited as to who was outside. Today, with our whole society functioning so differently, one can light any time during the night. Ideally, one should do it earlier. Ideally, one is lighting in their home, before they eat dinner. Now, where does one light? So, if you're in your own home, it's not a problem. If you're invited for friends, family, then unless you are sleeping over in someone's home, you're not to light the menorah in somebody else's home. Even though you might not be getting home to your house till 10, 11 o'clock at night, that's okay. Leave yourself a reminder in your home that you are to light when you get home, and it would be certainly preferable to light in your home when you get home, rather than lighting it in somebody else's home. There are many more laws of Hanukkah. I believe my distinguished colleague, Rabbi Goldwasser, has been uh, learning and discussing uh, the laws of Hanukkah. So I will proceed to this week's parsha of Vayeshev. Now, when it comes to Parsha's Vayeshev, this is one of those parshios that doesn't get easier from year to year. You have to ask yourself the question, my goodness, how can this happen? How can the righteous sons of Yaakov, and they are righteous sons, how could they sell their brother? Period. Now, the Superno, in his commentary, tells us that the brothers looked upon Yosef 
as a rodave. A rodave literally means a pursuer, someone that is trying to harm you. So the Torah says that if someone is coming to harm you, hashkem lohargo, you are to take the initiative to try to harm him. And therefore, they felt justified. Looking back over history, they saw their grandfather, Yaakov, uh, Abraham, had two sons. One was literally cast out of the fold, and that was Yishmael. And the other one, Yitzchak, was in. And Yitzchak had two sons, and one was cast out, and that was Esav, and the other one, their father, Yaakov was in. And now that they saw that Yaakov was favoring Yosef, they were only afraid Yosef would be in and they would be out. And therefore, they felt justified. There's no question. But while we don't understand this, this was clearly the will of God because after all, Yaakov had to fulfill the prophecy that was given to Avraham in chapter 15 in the book of Bereshis at the Brisbane Absarim. God said to Avraham, you should know that your children are going to be strangers, enslaved, persecuted in a land which is not theirs. They had to get down to Egypt. The only question is, how were they to get to Egypt? So the truth is, the rabbis say, the Yaakov could have, should have been brought down to Egypt in chains because this prophecy had to be fulfilled. How fortunate he was that he went down to Egypt to see, as we know, coming up in two weeks, his beloved son Yosef. Take a look in chapter 37, verse 15. When Yosef can't find his brothers, he should have gone back home and said, Abba, I went, I couldn't find them, and that's it. After all, Yosef anticipated that the brothers might not welcome him with open arms. Instead, the Torah tells us, All of a sudden, a man comes, and the man just happened to hear the brothers speaking that, you know, they, uh, quote-unquote, left here and they're going there. So he was able to tell Yosef where to go. And Rashi tells us, who is this Ish? This mysterious man is none other than Gavriel, who is the angel that God put in the right place at the right time to direct the course of history. And that's how we have to look at the parasha. When the brothers first see Yosef, they say literally in verse 20 of that chapter 37, let's kill him. Literally, let's kill him. In 21, Ruvain hears and he's, And he literally saves Yosef from literally their hand, meaning, as the Ramban explains, that Ruvain said, don't kill him with your hands. That's actual murder. Do it in a way which would be grama, an indirect way, namely throwing him in a pit. At the time that you throw him in the pit, he is alive. What's going to happen afterwards? The probability is he'll die, but you're not going to be the ones to kill him with your hands. Now, very clearly, there is a most powerful medrash that comments on the verse where the Torah tells us 
that Ruvain says to them, put him in the pit, which is in the desert. We shouldn't be the ones with our hands to actually kill him. And the Torah, at the end of verse 22, tells us what was his motivation. Leman hatzil oso miyadam, literally, it was to save Yosef from their hands. Lashivo el to return him to his father. So, Ruvain's intentions were good. Says the Medrash, oh my goodness. And the Medrash is found in Rus Rabbah, chapter 6, paragraph 5. Had only Ruvain known, Elu, right? Had he only known, Elu, Hoyoyodea Ruvain. If Ruvain only would have known that God was writing in his Torah, and that every single year, as we've been doing for thousands of years, we would read that Ruvain wanted to save Yosef, says the Medrash, he would have put him on his shoulders, literally, and carried him back to his father. And the Medrash continues in the beginning of the second book of the Torah, in chapter 4 of Shmos, when Moshe resists taking the leadership and to take the Jewish people out of, B'nai, out of Mitzrayim. So Hashem tells Moshe that your brother Aaron is coming to greet you. He's coming to greet you. And he bears no grudge against you. When he sees you, he'll rejoice in his heart. And the Medrash continues, Had only Aaron known that the Torah would write that Aaron was going to greet Moshe, he would have brought a brass band with him. And finally, in the second book of Rus, we're told how Boaz greets Rus most warmly, insists that she comes to his field only to glean, and the, t- the book of Rus in verse 14 of chapter 2 actually tells us what he gave her for lunch. And what does it say? Vayitzpot law keli. And he gave her parched grain. Had Boaz only known that this would be recorded for posterity, and we'd read it every year on Shavuos, he would have given her a steak dinner. So what does the Medrash go and teach us from this? It teaches us a very important point. Shekesha Adam Ose Mitzvah. When you do a mitzvah, ye Ose Osa believe Sameach V'Shalem. Do it in a complete sense. Don't just do it partially, half enthusiastically, but imkvar, if you're going to do it already, askvar, do it completely. And just as the Torah records these events, the Medrash goes on and says, oh my goodness, don't think that now that we are beyond the stages of the Torah being written down, that our actions are ignored. No, says the Midrash, that who writes our actions? Ilio Anovi, Moshiach, 
and God himself signs. The idea behind this is very, very powerful, that one should not think that our actions that we do are inconsequential. Just as Ruvain's actions had Nitzrius, they affected the future of the Jewish people, Aaron's actions, Boaz's actions, take their names out and put your name in. The way you conduct yourself, the way your children and grandchildren view you, and the way you conduct yourself, the way you do your chesed, your kindness towards others, do you generate it or do you respond? And when you do respond, do you do so enthusiastically or perhaps begrudgingly? And how do you daven? Do you daven perfunctorily or you daven with excitement? All these things are noticed and all these things have an effect vis-a-vis the future. So it's not just what was with Ruvain, Aaron, and Boaz, but each of us as well. I want to conclude with a beautiful story found in the Talmud, Yuma 38a, a gentleman named Nicanor. So what does he do? He goes to Egypt to bring back very special doors to adorn the base Hamigdash. He's on his way back. He has these two very large, heavy copper doors. There's a storm at sea, and the sailors insist for the safety of the boat and everybody. They have to throw one of the uh, doors overboard. Begrudgingly, he agrees. The storm is still raging, and they say we must sell, uh, throw the other one overboard. He says, he, as he clutches on to that second door, If you throw the door, I go with it. And the storm stopped. And he felt so bad that maybe, maybe he should have, could have saved the first one. When they come to Akko, he sees, unbelievable, that right after the boat docked in Akko, something was bobbing up and down in the water, and miraculously, that first door survived. So because miracles happened to these doors, these doors were put literally at the gateway of the base Amigdash. We light our candles, says the Chabina Rav. Used to be outside in Israel, that practice is coming back, but we do it at the doorway to remind ourselves as well that our home is like the base Amigdash, and we are to generate, please God, and notice miracles in our home as well. And we are to have the attitude that once again, as Nicanor had Mesiras Nefesh, and when man has Mesiras Nefesh, God responds in kind. And this was Hanukkah. They didn't need to use pure oil. The majority of the people were impure. Jewish law says that if the majority of the people, Tuma, Hutra, Betzibor, they could have used the impure oil. The Chashmonoyim did not want to use the impure oil. So because they went beyond the letter of the law, they only wanted the best, God responded in kind and did a miracle for them. This is Hanukkah. Shosanisim Labo Senu. 
God did miracles in the past, and please God, He'll do it for us now and in the future. May we, please God, be worthy thereof. Shabbat Shalom and a Freilicha, meaningful Hanukkah to all.